Well, <clears throat> this is first Sunday of year 2018, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can we uh, say Happy New Year again? Happy, Happy New Year. year. Yeah. <laughs> I pray that you'll be blessed this year in your health, your study, your work, and your spiritual progress this year. And the uh, Lord will bless you richly for your pursuit of the truth and godly life. Now, I understand we are beginning to preach on the book of Romans. So, uh, Pastor Kurt asked me to talk on the the introduction to uh, Romans. So, that that I'll do uh, this morning. A great deal to discuss, uh, but I'll do my share, and whatever is left undone, uh, we will do as we go along. This Romans is a wonderful book. It changes people in such a profound way. I'll, I'll tell you a few about the historic figure who were changed by listening to, reading about Romans. Uh, famously, Augustine, 4th and 5th century intellectual and such a powerful man who thought introduced the impacted Western civilization for thousand years, and even today, Augustine's theory, his preaching, his thought, influenced powerfully, include me. My thought, not too much different from Augustine, such a profound man. But as you know, the Augustine was not a godly man to begin with. Uh, I understand uh, he was a drunk. He was a debauchery. He was a sexual addict. Especially we hear all kind of story lately, and uh, they must listen to how Augustine has changed it from the sexual addiction into such a godly man. And he was a drunk, and he was a pagan. He believed in all sort of wrong belief. And his mother, uh, Monica, was sad about her son's direction of to pray for him day and night, with, with weeping day and night. And uh, he was changing. Now, how did Augustine change? By reading Romans. So as we discuss Romans today and on the future, and I wish the same things happen to you. <laughs> I don't mean to say you are pagan. I don't mean to say you are drunk. I don't mean to say all that. But profound change, even more. Now, the especially which word in the Romans changed, Augustine. I read to quote this Bible passage, Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 13 and 14. I read it for you. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Now, this particular Bible passage hit him real hard because he was exactly doing bad things. And this Bible passage is telling him straight, and he was wide awake. And he he he's converted to Christianity. And wow, what a big great way Lord used him for you, for me, and Christianity, and for the right doctrine, the right teaching. And not only that, Martin Luther, famous man Martin Luther was also powerfully impacted by Romans. Now which passages of Romans? Romans 1, verse 17. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. This word strike him. Why this word? Because Martin Martin Luther was kind of agonized over his sinful nature, his sinful behavior. He was really worried about his salvation. He thought the holy, perfectly holy God 
He has a power over me. He will judge me at the last time. But with this, my bad, sinful condition, I will never be saved. So he worked very hard to be a holy life and a godly life. The more he worked, the, the, the worse it became. So he was agony over it. How, who, who can help me? My behavior, my attitude, whatever I do, I cannot save myself. How do I do that? Who is going to help me? In that agony, then Luther encountered this word. The righteous will live by faith. Not your behavior, but your faith in Jesus Christ will save you. It relieved him. Great God, not me, but faith in Christ will save me. It relieved him tremendously. So that was the foundation of Reformation. What is the Reformation? We are saved by the faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the Reformation, uh, the big catch word, sola fide, only faith, sola fide. Let's say it again, sola fide. Sola fide. Only faith. So then uh, Martin Luther was struck by this wonderful word and he was rejoiced in the true message. There is a gospel. We are all saved by faith in Jesus Christ through grace. Then uh, the, after that, we had uh, John Bunyan. Not the John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. He was a Puritan and uh, he was also impacted by Martin Luther's the sola fide, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, and impacted him. And he was so happy and profoundly shaken, uh, he wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. That's a wonderful impact. John Wesley, you remember John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists. He was not a devout Christian or anything. And he was kind of had enthusiasm for Christianity, but he was not born again. He was not really good, genuine Christian. But the moment came to him while he was listening to a preacher's lecture on preface to the Roman commentary by Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote the commentary on Luther, the Roman, while John Wesley was listening to the commentary on the Roman, he was enlightened. Now, everybody has some moment of enlightenment. Uh, in, in my case, for example, I was converted by listening to different Bible passages. To someone, you maybe different Bible passage will strike you. But John Wesley, Martin Luther, Augustine, all are struck by Romans, powerful way. John Wesley, well, he was listening to the commentary on Romans. He confessed his heart strangely warmed. Heart warmed. D.L. Moody, famous the, uh, evangelist in Chicago, he was also by, inspired by the Romans, especially Romans 10, verse 17. I quote, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Faith comes from listening. Listening what? Listening the word of Christ. So this word struck him, and he said, wait a minute, now what do I do now? Because I'm struck by the word as converted, I will preach word. So he organized the Bible Institute, famous Moody Bible Institute. He produced thousands of disciples by teaching the Bible. So I, our faith comes from listening. Listening what? The Word of God, the Bible. Especially this Roman is a treasure house of truth of God, Christian doctrine. I hope the same thing happened to you like Moody and Augustine and Luther. Well, so much for that. Let me uh, uh, <laughs> introduce a little more on a systematic fashion because I'm supposed to introduce Romans. So I'll do that. Um, 
the New Testament, uh, 27 books of New Testament, was canonized in A.D. 397. Now, what is canon? What do we mean by canonized? Now, canon means the standard of Christian faith and Christian life. Canonized means there are many writings, but out of many writings, and people get together prayerfully selected few books to be the standard of Christian doctrine and life. Canonized. Out of many, many writings, we selected 27 books, and we made it canon, standard of belief. Now, how, what is the criteria of making Christian writing canon, special writing? Well, number one criteria is apostolicity. Who wrote that writing? Was it written by apostles? Or apostles, the disciples? Or anybody closely associated with the apostle? That was the number one criteria. And number two is the writing is sufficiently uh, spiritual and widely read and there's a sign of inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is not ordinary book. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit breathes into the person, breathes into it and that becomes the word of God. Breathe, the Holy Spirit breathe. We call that inspiration. And Holy Spirit in you illuminate you. So when you are listening to inspired word of God, you are illuminated with the Holy Spirit in you. So I'm, I'm speaking inspired word. You are listening and hoping that Holy Spirit in you illuminates you to the truth. And out of 27 books, 13 books were written by St. Paul. 27 books are written by St. Paul. Among his writings, the, uh, Romans is the kind of, uh, uh, of the most essential writings by, uh, by Paul. So let's get to uh, Romans. Who wrote Romans? Paul. <laughs> there are this, all kind of, kind of debate, this disagreement about who wrote that particular book and who wrote that, authorship and all this thing. But there's general agreement that who wrote Roman? Paul. We agree on that one. When did he write? About AD 55, during his third missionary journey. During his time, St. Paul's mission was planting new church, going around the Mediterranean and plant a church. That was uh, his mission. And then after planting church, he go around and travel around and make sure that church he planted is doing well. He made a first missionary journey, second missionary journey, third missionary journey. During third missionary journey, while he was in Corinth, today's Greece, Corinth, he wrote this book because he was thinking about going to Rome. And uh, he thought that time Spain, Spain was the end of the world and Rome is a very important city in his way to Spain. So he was writing these Romans to Roman and about to teach them about doctrine and his wishes to go to Spain and asking Roman church to help him to go to Spain financially, prayer and otherwise. So that was behind this writing. Now Paul's letter is usually uh, composed of kind of standard format. Uh, usually, if you read Romans, any other Poland uh, writing, it starts from opening greeting. Greetings to you, and we call it salutation. And followed by prayer and good word for the congregation. Then he expound truth, the Christian message. Then he apply what he preached in daily life application. So then opening greeting and prayer for congregation and expounding the, the, the truth and application and the final saying goodbye with the doxology. What is Romans major content? The Romans is composed of three big category. First portion is plan of salvation. Plan of salvation means how God planned to save sinful humanity, 
what is his plan? And second portion is he talk about Israel. What happened to his Jewish people? Why did Israel, Israelis rejected Jesus? What happened? Who, whose idea was that? What will happen to Jewish people? He addressed to that using chapter 9, 10, 11, three long chapters. He addressed to that. Talk about relationship between Gentiles and Israel, Jewish and us. A Gentile meaning all the inclusion of non-Jewish called it Gentile. In that way, uh, I'm Gentile, you are Gentile, unless you are Jewish. I know I'm not Jewish. <laughs> Am I look like a Jewish? <laughs> then a uh, third portion is application. Now I told you the Christian message. I'll tell you how to apply this message in your daily life, vis-a-vis -vis in the church, in the state, and in the world, and how do you apply this truth in Christian life. So these are the three major components of Roman. Let me tell you about the major component in a brief fashion. In starting from Romans 1, it tells you, Paul tells us, you are sinners. Everybody are sinner. Paul himself sinner. Are you everybody sinner? Nobody come to the standard set by God. Holy, pure, righteous God. Nobody is short of it. Everybody is under the condemnation by the holy God. What happened? What happened? Our ancestor Adam rebelled against creator God, diffusing his leadership, diffusing him. Adam wants to be his, his own boss. I don't need God. I am my own boss. So then, rejecting God who created him, the source of life, that we call, Augustine called it, original sin. And after that original sin, everybody come after that, we are on the same universal, sinful, fallen condition. And Paul said in chapter 1, we worship creature, not creator. Creator created everything, but people worship creature, stones and rocks and birds and idols and everything else but God. Now that is deadly sin. So then uh, Paul said, well, did God uh, leave sinful humanity alone? Did he have any plan to save us? He said, yes, yes, he has a plan to save us. What was his plan? He prepared a savior for us. The savior sent his only begotten son and died for the sin. Whoever accepts him shall have everlasting life. That was the message of it. And then about Israel portion, he comes to that. A Jewish people uh, rebelled against Christ. When Jesus came, Jewish people, rabbis and the scribes and priests, they preached about coming of a Messiah. Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming, Messiah is coming. When Messiah literally came, they rejected him. What a nonsense is this? Thousands of Messiah is coming, oh, Messiah is coming. Messiah came, who are you? <laughs> I don't care about you. Not only that, I'm going to kill you. They killed the Messiah. They killed the Messiah. What happened? According to St. Paul, it was the design of God so that Israel will reject Messiah. The sovereignty of God led Jewish people to reject Christ. What for? Why did God do that for? So that gospel can come to the Gentile. Rejection of gospel going to Gentile. So we, we all benefit from that rejection. Then Paul said, at the end time, Jewish will repent that and they will come to the Christ, the Messiah. They realized it was Messiah. And they realized it. Then application of Christian life. How do you live godly Christian life? 
and he tell you about how to how to love Christian brothers in the in the church, how to how to love neighbor, and your duty to state and and so forth. And talk about the question of conscience, liberty of Christian conscience. Talk about we are free, we are liberated from the bondage of sin. We are liberated from the bondage of dietary rule. We are liberated from the bondage of ceremonial rule, but we are not liberated from the moral law. When we talk about the dietary law, we talk about our weight control. You didn't mean all that. If you, if, if you look at the Old Testament, it tell, eat this, don't eat that. Eat this, don't eat that. They kind of thing. In other words, from religious standpoint, some animals are ritually unclean. Some animals are ritually clean. So eat ritually clean animal. Don't eat ritually unclean animal. Then Bible tell you some examples of ritually unclean animal. Can you name few ritually unclean animal? Pig, snake, and crow, and Catfish, I'm not, okay, catfish, as I say. <laughs> and cow is, cow is a clean animal because he, he and any animal, uh, and then clean animal is sheep and, and, and cow and so forth. And rabbit is unclean animal, according to, to, to me, death is very cute. <laughs> but according to God, it's unclean. My goodness gracious. Camel it looks very nice and nice, gentle and nice, but according to God, camel is unclean. You know, interesting thing, when I pray to God and asking, Lord, where, where do I go for worship? Lord, where, what do I do? What is that? You know what? Very often, Lord responded to me by using animal. Sometimes when Lord show me ritually unclean animal in the Bible, that means, no, don't do it. He showed me ritually clean animal, go ahead and do it. I obey, I get the cue out of it. Every time Lord tell me, go ahead, only successful and blessing. So then, even though in the Bible, in the ancient writing, some kind of fishes and dogs, it, it still has a spiritual meaning. God uses the symbol to give us an answer. Very interesting. Now, there's millions of words, many, many episodes I'd like to share with you, but not here. <laughs> I'll charge a special tuition for that, and I share millions of occasions how Lord responded to me using Bible passage and Bible word symbol. So much for that. Major doctrines of Roman. What is the key doctrines of Roman? The major doctrine is righteousness by faith. There's a key word. Righteousness by faith. Well, what is righteousness? What is righteousness in your mind? In, in Greek, we call that dikaios or dikaiosne. That's the, uh, the Greek word for righteousness. And for Hebrew, it's a sedek or sedekah. Sedekah, sedek, sedekah. A Hebrew word, Hebrew word for righteousness. What is English word for righteousness? Righteousness. Well, they put it to use a different vocabulary. And by righteousness, we mean just, justice, right, wrong, right. Righteousness means right. Good, bad, righteousness is good. So righteousness means something is just, right, good, and perfect, pure, and holy. This is the word, the chaos or sedek, righteousness. Something is right, pure, holy, perfect, just, justice. Only God is just, only God is righteous. God is the source of righteousness. 
His action is, every one of his actions is righteous. Biblically speaking, I can expand a little more. Who is righteous? What is righteous? Jesus Christ is righteousness. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, right? So Christ is truth and he is righteousness. Jesus Christ is the source of righteousness. He's the paradigm of righteousness. If Jesus Christ is righteousness, then truth is co-equal with Christ. So we can say truth is righteousness. Little, little mathematical equation here. Bible, if Bible is talking about Christ, Bible is talking about truth, we can then consider Bible as righteousness too. Real extension of it. So what is Bible righteousness? Christ, truth, and the Bible. And in the Bible, by righteousness, more than anything, we talk about right relationship. Right relationship. My relationship to you, your relationship to me. Your relationship with one another. Relationship. Christianity is a relationship. My relationship, our relationship with God, God's relationship with us. Is it good or bad? It's a bad, just, perfect, pure relationship that's come from God. So then, God is righteous, relationship-wise. Then what is our righteousness? Our righteousness is accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. That's our righteousness. So you are righteous because you accepted Jesus, Lord and Savior. You are righteous. Well, to the Paul expand uh, this righteousness even further, saying that we are we became unrighteous. Unrighteous. We, we, we fell from original righteousness because we rebelled against God. Once, once we are rebelled against God, we all, all we fell. We cannot go back to original righteousness by our own effort. Too late. Too late. Train left already. It's gone. Gone. Too late. You can jump up and down. And too late. You stay there, you wait to die. <laughs> Not just wait to die, you will be condemned to hell. Hell is not a, I, I understand, hell is not a nice place to go. <laughs> and I don't recommend you to go there either. <laughs> but Adam's sin brought the condemnation, and you and I all are destined to die. <laughs> then God had planned plan of salvation. God is love. At the same time, God is just. Loving God wants to save us. But God's justice, righteousness, must condemn us. You see that? His righteousness needs to condemn sinner. His mercy and lightness wants to save us. But how, 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 how does he solve that dilemma? How do you solve that dilemma? In Old Testament, they, when people committed sin, they brought the sacrifice to priests, right? Then priests then could kill To be a sacrifice, the sacrifice needs to be pure, unblemished, clean, pure sacrifice. God could not find any unblemished human being to make sacrifice. I'm not clean enough to be sacrificed. If Lord used me as a sacrifice, no, you're not clean enough, John Lee. <laughs> How about you, Bill? You too. <laughs> so God came up with an excellent idea, planned that way. Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, Pure God, a righteous man. God sent his son to die for us. In that way, he punished his own son. 
he satisfy his righteousness. Then whoever accepts him as Lord and Savior, then God loves us and forgives us from our sin and gives us the gift of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? This truth, how do you learn this truth? Where did you learn this truth? In the Bible. Who taught you this truth? Holy Spirit. That's what you say. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need Bible and Holy Spirit. You will never figure out in your little head. You'll never figure out the way of saving yourself. You'll never, never, never make it. Holy Spirit come to you. Holy Spirit lead you to the cross. Wow. What a truth. What a God we have in Christianity. We call that God's justice and mercy. And cross, cross is exactly that. Cross is exactly that. In the cross, God fulfilled relationship, righteous relationship. On the cross, is a vertical line and horizontal line, right? Vertically, by dying on the cross, Son Jesus fulfilled his obligation to the Father. He obeyed Father's will. Horizontally, by dying, Christ saved us. So cross is a symbol of horizontal and vertical righteousness. Cross is the completion of the plan of life. Justice come from before mercy. Justice come before mercy. God wants to show you mercy, but justice must be done first. In our human relationship too, our human relationship, our race relationship and whatever, justice must come before mercy. Justice must be fulfilled to have real reconciliation. You see that? So cross is that. Now, we talk about righteousness. Christ is righteousness. Truth is righteousness. The Bible is righteousness. Right relationship is righteousness. Then, Holy Trinity is also righteousness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Righteousness, right? I show you how Holy Trinity individually shown their righteousness to us. Father's righteousness is having mercy upon fallen human being decided to send his only only begotten son and sent his only begotten son. That's father's righteousness, his tzedek. What is son's righteousness? Obeying father, put on human flesh and carrying the cross and dying on the cross that is son's tzedek, righteousness. What is righteousness of Holy Spirit? Righteousness of Holy Spirit is in due time it comes to you, each one of you due time, and convict your sin. Tells you, make you realize, I am sinner. When convict you and you become, then saved person, there's a moment of metanoia. Metanoia meaning you turned around it. You are walking to a sinner's life. Holy Spirit convict you. John Lee, you are walking in the devil's way. Stop it. Go back. <laughs> go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. So I go back. Repent and go back. Go back to the cross. So who makes me repent? Holy Spirit. Then who leads us to the cross? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lead you to the cross. Who stay with us after our conversion, realizing we are sinful, cleansing our sin, and uh, transforming our sinful nature into godly, righteous being? Holy Spirit. Right now, you are under the ministry of Holy Spirit. Be aware of that. Be sensitive that Holy Spirit is in you. When I say Holy Spirit is in you, most people say, really? <laughs> I don't see him. Where, where are you, Holy Spirit? I don't see him. 
in my pocket. No way. Therefore, you tend to ignore Holy Spirit. Please don't do that. Then I realize presence of Holy Spirit in your life. When you get up in the morning, what do you say? Good morning, Holy Spirit. <laughs> in your dinner time, good evening, Holy Spirit. Tell, good morning, I love you, Holy Spirit. Be with me. Say, make it your habit. And God loves that. God loves to be recognized by you. Recognized by you. Recognizing. And he'll bless you. He will bless you. Now, then what is our righteousness? Father's righteousness and son's righteousness and Holy Spirit righteousness. What is our righteousness? Our righteousness is thanking Father who sent his son. Our righteousness is accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's our righteousness. Our righteousness is depending on Holy Spirit who is guiding us our journey to heaven. You see that? That's our righteousness, our righteousness. So let's year 2008 should be year of your righteousness walk with God. Not too much football. <laughs> Not so much basketball. But so much with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is our champion. Celebrate him. Praise him, praise him. He's doing slum dunk every day for us. <laughs> we, 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 don't, we don't realize it. He's doing slum dunk every minute in our life. We don't recognize him. When quarterback throw a line, one entire stadium is approaching, but Holy Spirit does something. We are quiet. Right, right. Don't be quiet this year. I want you to be loud. <laughs> loud. <laughs> but not too loud, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, the main doctrine in the Romans is. We are saved by faith. Salvation by faith. We are justified by faith. That's a very important word. We are justified by faith through grace. Grace meaning unmerited favor. That's a grace, right? We unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. But God gave us, us anyway. We don't, we don't merit that. God gave us anyway. We don't deserve a thing, nothing. But it's as a gift. Salvation comes to us as a gift. Not as a merit. We haven't done anything to deserve that. Out of sure mercy and love of God, God gave us a salvation. So we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Justified by faith. When we, we commit sin, there is a consequence to it. You commit sin, you murder someone, there's a consequence. We call that guilt. You murder someone, you are guilty, right? If you are guilty, what the judge tell you? You are guilty. And sentence you to prison time, lifetime, whatever. So you are guilty of murder, you are guilty of hate, you are guilty of that, that. You are you commit sin, you are guilty. You are guilty. Then who is going to help you, relieve you from your guilt? You're destined to go to hell, the jail, but someone relieves you. Don't go to jail. Son, I sent my son to die for you. Accept him, you're free. You are free. In other words, we are free from the consequence of our sin, which is guilt. Meaning justification is we are free from guilt. Justification is we are saved from the guilt of sin. Repeat after me. We are saved from the guilt of sin. That is justification. Yes. Any free. It didn't take me. I didn't hire any lawyer to relieve from my guilt. It's free. Wow. To relieve me from my sin, I do, how much money do I need? Millions of dollars, I think. <laughs> Christ didn't pay anything. I, I didn't pay him anything. 
Now, so then, here's another very important theological concept for you. Imputation and infusion. Imputation of righteousness and infusion of righteousness. Do you know the difference? Imputation of righteousness and infusion of righteousness. When we are justified, justified meaning God is declaring that you are free. God is declaring you are free. Like a judge is declaring you are free. God declared as if you are not guilty. In other words, when you accept Christ, God considers you not guilty. Not because you are internally not guilty. God considers you, considers you not guilty. It's a forensic language. Justification is a court language, forensic language. In that way, then, your, your righteousness is imputed to you, transferred to you. Transferred to you. Say, I'm a, I'm a, they say, I, am I look like a barber? If I go to the barber shop and put on barber's gown, then I look like a barber, right? Yeah, I'm not a doctor, but go to the doctor's office, put on doctor's gown, and put on and look like a doctor, right? right? I am unrighteous, but if I put Jesus Christ on me, he appears to be righteous. You see that? We appear to be righteous. We are righteous in that way. Not We are righteous. We are not condemned as a result of it. Infusion meaning you really become righteous internally. Internal righteousness comes afterward by sanctification. At this stage, we are justified. It's a, God declare you are not guilty. Imputed, not infused righteousness in your system, but declare forensic language. I review some uh, Chinese letter. I think I want to discuss this with you sometime, but let me review this thing. How many Chinese characters do you know? One, two, three, four, none of them? Now, you know what this symbolizes? What does that mean? Red line, red line, there's a meaning. Now, this, this line, the Chinese character is a meaning to it. This one, the little horn, this means lamb. Oh, sheep, lamb, lamb, lamb. What is lamb? Lamb is Jesus Christ. John the Baptist on the River Jordan, when Jesus Christ was approaching him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away sins of the world. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away sins of the world. That's Jesus Christ who takes away sins of the world. Now, the second Chinese character. Now, this means black. It's a, this means ah. Pronounce it. Say ah. Ah. What does ah mean? Means you. Ah. Mean. 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 It's, ah is me. Ah. Now, who is this guy? Me. Who is this guy? Me, John Lee. This guy is a sinner. He's a cheap sinner. This is a prime minister of sin. This guy is a president of sin. This guy is a sinner. This is me. This is me. I'm unrighteous. I'm a sinner condemned to, to death. If this me. My destiny, I can tell you. This it was me, hopeless guy. But then what happened? I accepted lamb on, on my head. I accepted Jesus Christ. I put lamb on my head, Jesus Christ on my head. I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Then I become righteous. This Chinese character is righteousness. Isn't that something? Righteousness. Sinful I, accepting Christ as Lord and Savior, I become righteous. Isn't that good? Good. The mission, missionaries go to China and try to tell good news about Chinese people. And these people didn't know how to communicate to Chinese people. 
So then the missionary study Chinese character, carefully study, they found this word. And this is what you believe, which is what I believe. Very simple. So uh, this is what you have done. If any one of this in, in you, you haven't done this, you must do it right away. You must do it right away. There's no charge for it. <laughs> right away. Don't wait. Time is short. You don't know what will happen to us. Before too late, accept Lamb of God on you, your Lord and Savior, you become righteous, you become citizen of the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Paul tells us in chapter, chapter 5, 1 through 11, they, what is the consequence of receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. What's, what is the benefit coming out of it? What is the, bl the blessing? Blessing of faith, Christian faith. Blessing number one, you have peace with God. You have peace with God. You know how important peace with God is? Have you ever had a bad relationship with your parent? Your parent told you, you're not my son anymore. You're not my daughter anymore. Get out of here. So you left and then become homeless. Wow. Therefore, what you do, when your father, even your human parent, dislike you, you've been thrown, Creator God tells you, you're not my children anymore. Can you think about the consequence of it? Think about it. By accepting Christ, you make peace with Creator God who created you. That is everything. You know that? True peace comes when you reconnect yourself with God. So that's what you did. When you accept Christ, you are thrown into orbit of God, thrusted into the orbit into God. For example, satellite and boost the rocket and powerful power. Rocket boosts you into satellite and satellite is thrown into orbit. When you believe, when you believe, we are thrown into the orbit of God, orbit of eternal life. Before we are thrown into the orbit of God, we are circulating where? Orbit of death and destruction. Orbit of death and destruction. By accepting Christ, we are shifting ourselves from here over the orbit of God. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That you don't have to pay million dollars to travel to the moon to experience satellite. Except Jesus Christ. You'll be thrown into the orbit of God right away. Much better deal. <laughs> and by what's the benefit of your faith? If you, if you believe that benefit comes to you, I am a child of God. Nothing can separate me from love of God. You have that confidence and conviction. Then you are not afraid of dying anymore. If you don't have Christ, you, you fear of death all the time. I fear that. Before I accepted Christ, I, I fear of death all the time. Every time funeral, just like, wow, I don't like this thing. <laughs> Every time I go to coffin, wait a minute, someday I go to the air. I don't like it. There's no air, nothing. When I accepted Christ, I don't have fear anymore. I am relieved from the fear of death. What a relief that is. I don't have to go to the psychiatrist from relief there. Right away. Well, you have some, even Christian, some depression, and I know all that thing. But fundamentally, you are free from death. You are fundamentally you're free from your depression. I want you to know that. Sometimes in life we, we, we go to depression period and we have, feel bad and down. But I want you to know, fundamentally, you are free from any kind of depression because you have life. In the depth of your clinical depression, you have life. You have life. Think about that. That's the ultimate answer for, to solve your clinical depression. I know what depression is. Faith in Christ is the thing.
And by accepting Christ, Holy Spirit in you, what happened? You experience all kinds of internal spiritual experience. You experience God's presence. Isn't it amazing? Before accepting Christ, Jesus is your Savior, I never experienced the presence of God and anything God doing for me or anything. But after accepting Christ, I experienced all kind of the manifestation of the love of Christ and power of God coming through me. What an experience. I was saying the other day, a couple of the uh, church gentlemen, and I, I love to hear other people's testimony. And I asked, what do you have an experience? Showed me all kind of wonderful experience. I heard a noise voice behind me. What did the voice tell you? Oh, I saw all of a sudden room full of light. Wow. Nothing happened like that. You, unless you believe Christ, Holy Spirit, you, you will never experience God's word. After that, you will experience. You know what, how wonderful the experience is? Experiencing God, which, which is much better than marijuana, which is much better than LSD, much better than opium, much better experience. You become really high, I'll tell you. <laughs> really, really high. There's no side effect, anything. You don't have to go to therapy. Beautiful, fantastic experience and glory to God and wonderful life. And you will not change that wonderful experience with the arms of marijuana. It's nothing, right. nothing. Right. So I want you to experience the presence of God, the beauty of it, the joy of experiencing with God, joy of communing with Christ. How wonderful it is. I want you to be blessed in this year by communing with him, go deeply into with him and experience the world of God in you and enjoy life and be blessed. Now, I, I will present, prepare the much more than, I prepared this much more, but the rest of them I'll ask Holy Spirit to teach you. <laughs> he, he's he's better, much better teacher than I am. So I leave to his mighty hand and be blessed this year. Okay, let's, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for knowing that you are the truth and knowing that you are with us. What a security. What a wonderful gift we have in us. Bless us and teach us and inspire us, encourage us to be with you, to walk with you more closely so we can receive what a wonderful spiritual gift you prepared for us. Let your 2018 be spiritually blessed, our health and our job and everything blessed, and we celebrate and rejoice in the bless of God. I pray in your name. Amen.